Welcome to Seeking Alpha's Wall Street Breakfast, your daily source of market news and analysis. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Welcome to Seeking Alpha's Editor's Roundtable, What Moved Markets This Week for the week ending Friday, October 29th, the last week of October, a very eventful week. We had a lot of earnings. There was a rally for stocks, the fourth straight week now that uh, stocks are up. And we had a certain rebranding of a certain company formerly known as Facebook that also rolled out the Zuckerbot in a video that uh, was kind of a little bit ridiculed, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, so very eventful times here. What a time to be alive. Joined here by four individuals who are certainly very happy to be alive. Actually, three of them. I, I am one myself. Joining me are, in no particular order, Brad Olison, the VP of News, Kim Khan, Senior News Editor, Stephen Alfer, Managing Editor of Breaking News. He's back after a week absence when we believe he was busy counting his Bitcoins, but another story. And I, I am your host and moderator, Nathaniel E. Baker, uh, as, as Senior Editor of Strategic Contributors here at Seeking Alpha. I will now kick it over to Kim Khan to give us the big picture overview of what moved markets this week. Well, as you said, we've got uh, markets looking at a, a fourth straight week of gains. Um, I kind of want to look at the economic picture because it's not often I get to say this or maybe ever that a Bank of Canada announcement reverberated around the world, but that's what happened. They um, ended QE abruptly and also pulled forward tightening expectations and uh, the Canadian um, yield curve flattened out and that flattened out the US yield curve the same day, um, kind of took its impact on Europe as well. And so you saw a, a wild move in, in, in treasury yields this week and, and what Jim Reed of Deutsche Bank called almost a, a silent taper tantrum on the uh, short end with um, short end rates uh, really going up as the you know, longer rates fell. So that you know, now we're we're looking at a yield curve steepening steepening again today. So we're kind of going to back going in. It was a blackout week for Fed speakers because they got their decision coming up next week. But um, all in all, the, you know, the equities though just shrugged that off. Yeah, equities have certainly shrugged off a lot of stuff, and it begs the question: who the winners and losers were this week? Take us through that, Brad. I mean, part of the reason they can shrug it off is because earnings are doing extremely well. I mean, this is a big week for earnings. And according to Deutsche Bank, Q3 earnings season tends to be delivering the sixth blockbuster quarter in a row, according uh, to, to Binky Chata, the, the chief strategist there over at Deutsche Bank, with 85%, I guess, of, of, of the names beating and, and the size of those beats were, were quite tremendous. And so it should be no surprise that some of the biggest winners were, were names that were riding some of that momentum. Tesla obviously reported not just not this week, uh, but it's still kind of still riding high on a little bit of that. And they also had some other tailwinds. Enphase Energy is a solar name. They also had earnings this week, and they also had some, some other um, tangential tailwinds. Uh, the biggest news, obviously, was Hertz's Hertz's deal with Tesla for uh, thousands of, of, of vehicles. Um, I guess you know some some people in the Northeast might say the bigger news is Tom Brady now shilling for uh, Hertz in, in some of that partnership, but that kind of helped Tesla lift um, e even further, kind of in, into the common 
you know, the common man is now going to be able to, to rent more of these, these Tesla vehicles. Um, Enphase also, like I said, has earnings, but they're also named a favorite by Bank of America ahead of the COP26 summit. Uh, that's kind of an alternative energy summit. A lot of nations are trying to go towards net zero in terms of emissions. Um, another interesting name that was mentioned among those Bank of America favorites was our favorite stock to talk about here on Generac um, on this on this show. And another big winner this week, which is Lucid. Um, that's LCID. It's another EV maker. Uh, they were up about 53% this week prior to the Bank of America note, uh, mostly because I guess a lot of their vehicles are now uh, hitting the pavement and getting deliveries to some of its uh, clients, uh, if not already or in, into the next couple of days. So, you know, those are some of the two biggest winners. Tesla was up 20% uh, while we're talking about it. Microsoft, another big winner, not on a percentage basis necessarily, but now taking the crown from Apple uh, as the most valuable company because Apple did whiff on some of their earnings. Uh, they tend to be very, very strong, but I guess they can't get their, their products into the hands of customers fast enough. Um, that's a good sign, but also a bad sign. Um, you know, they do have a ra- rather quick refresh cycle. So if they can't get those products into their hands quickly, then, you know, that might delay some of the, the, the oncoming projects in, in the future. Alphabet also did well. Uh, that's the Google parent. They're minting money with their biggest quarterly revenue game in 14 years. The flip side, just to quickly kind of run through those Twitter shouldn't be much of a surprise after the snap warning uh, last last week re- regarding to the, the Apple privacy moves, which are hurting uh, some of the revenue there. Um, I'll let Steve kind of jump on the other big news from Twitter, uh, namely their CEO chiming in on, on macroeconomics. Um, so that prompted its own separate discussion. And then we also had some defense contractors, Northrop Grumman uh, and Lockheed Martin, citing supply chain issues for some of their weakness in their results. And then, um, you know, some of our crypto fans who, who listen to us will, will probably note that Robinhood dropped 10% after earnings. Uh, their crypto revenues from, from trading fell 75% uh, from the last quarter alone. So uh, quite a ding there on the interest. And then um, lastly, just some of the payments and credit card names like Fidelity National, Pfizer, and Fleet Corps, along with Capital One, uh, took a big hit after Visa with their results was kind of warning on a softening outlook for for some of their revenues. So a uh, very, very busy week for earnings and uh, a lot of moving parts here. Indeed. Yeah. It's so much going on. It is interesting though, that coming into this week, this was seen as kind of like a bellwether for the rest of the year. And the belief that if stocks and if companies could largely beat estimates, then it would portend well for the rest of the year. And that appears to be uh, that what's happened. But anyway, I uh, don't want to steal Stephen's thunder. He's been sitting there quietly there in Philadelphia. So Stephen, uh, take us through what you've been watching this week. It just uh, a lot of earnings. I've, I've, I've read a number of press releases, a number of uh, uh, conference call transcripts. And I mean, as if there was any question anymore, we're, we're, smack in the middle of an inflationary boom right now. Uh, Amazon expects to occur billions of additional costs thanks to right supply shortages, increased wages, supply chain issues around the globe, increased freight and shipping costs. Uh, so Amazon kind of speaks for, for all companies kind of when they said that. Uh, McDonald's uh, says they're seeing wages up 10%, their franchises are seeing wages up 10% year to, year to date. Uh, company-owned stores up 15% year to date. Uh, they expect to be raising prices about 6% this year. Um, so, you know, the, the transitory kind of goes out the window when you start feeding through to wages, right? The price of oil can can rise, it can drop, but wages are, pre- are, are very sticky. So even the Fed, none of those guys are running around saying transitory anymore. 
even uh, Christine Lagarde and the ECB. Um, she had a very bizarre statement this year after a lot of soul searching, she can no longer, she now expects inflation to be higher for longer. I'm not, not exactly sure why she needs to do soul searching to say that uh, for a data-driven central bank. Um, she is so calling you. She wasn't happy with that. Go yeah. Ahead. Uh, Kraft Heinz, they said they were seeing mid single digit price hikes in H1. Uh, now they're seeing high single digit price hikes in H2. Um, so we're, we're in an inflationary boom right now. Um, that's not necessarily bearish for stocks. Stocks can do you know really well during great inflations. Uh, what kills the stock market is when the central banks have to react to that infl- inflationary boom by by tightening money supply, as we saw, you know, say, say 1974, 1975, and then again in the early 80s. Uh, stocks can do quite well during inflation, but then they, they crash uh, when the central bank finally gets serious about it. And then also you have to look at the pricing pressure too, right? So Chipotle, I think, is one of the, the biggest standouts being able to pass through a lot of those, those increased costs along to customers without much hit to their sales. And then I think, as you mentioned, McDonald's, Kraft Heinz, and even Coca-Cola talking about other price pressures. And they seem to indicate from what I saw in the earnings anyway, that they weren't having much difficulty in passing some of those in- incremental costs onto customers. Those those supply chain costs are, are not 100% of their cost base, right? Those are a smaller percentage of their cost base. So they wouldn't, you know, 10% increase in supply chain costs is not going to increase all their prices by 10%, but, right. um, you know, the stocks having no difficulty passing that through. So um, as Steve says, they're it's not necessarily all bad for, for equities. No, it isn't. But what would be bad for equities is hyperinflation. Um, although I say that never having actually experienced it, we joke about it, but it's a very frightening thing that it's, you know, it's in the history books. Obviously we all know about Weimar Germany and Zimbabwe and all these other places, but uh, Jack Dorsey saying hyperinflation is coming. I don't know if that's a direct quote. I did see the tweet over the weekend, but um, he kind of here. he said it's here. Well, that's just not <laughs> accurate. Um, but who knows what he, you know, maybe in his world, you know, buying yachts or whatever it is that he's buying, uh, he does feel like there's hyperinflation. Um, I don't know. So, but that is a, a that was an interesting one just to, to kind of throw out there and and. I guess we'll have to see. I mean, look, the Fed is now facing something because next week they meet and they are going to have to, well, they're not going to have to, but they're widely expected to say they are going to start tapering. But how soon will interest rate hikes follow? And will they be effective? It takes a while for those to work their way through the, through the economy. So these are all things that we'll have to watch next week. All right, uh, let's, with that, move on to the next segment of the show where we discuss our favorite story ideas. No, actually our stories, not story ideas. That's an editor's meeting, but uh, seeking alpha articles, tweets, or other things that we have seen in our travels. I hope I didn't steal anybody's thunder with the hyperinflation one, but Kim, why don't you go ahead and, and uh, talk to us about that? Well, I'm going to go with um, Facebook deciding to change its name to Meta, which um, you know it, it got a reaction that might have been expected, but I haven't seen anybody who was positive on it, but certainly something that the company felt it needed to do. Um, we got the um, kind of usual market reaction to that, whereas there is already a, um, an ETF that um, invests in metaverse stocks called, with the ticker symbol Meta. That saw a spike in volume when the announcement was made. Um, it, you know, it's kind of good for it on both ways because it holds Facebook as its its third biggest holding. So, um, it, and so it's gonna it's gonna benefit either way for what Facebook does. Um, there's another company, Meta Materials, that um, saw a pop 
And now it's kind of like, it's hard to figure out, you know, meta materials didn't get much um, talk on, on Wall Street bets at all or any mentions, you know, so it was it actually, you know, retailers and a, an incorrect ticker kind of situation like you had with Zoom video communications a while back, or was it in fact a hedge fund money anticipating that people would make the ticker mistake and jumping into meta materials ahead of that, which makes the whole thing pretty meta in and of itself. Um, and then we have the acronym of FANG, which um, now Facebook has changed its name, even though that we didn't change it when Google changed to Alphabet. We, we asked our readers, maybe it's time to change up FANG. And they come up with a lot of good ideas. And um, my, you know, my favorite actually was when they decided, okay, let's add in NVIDIA and Adobe and go for the kind of Muppet song, Menomena. <laughs> that's great when are we able, we'll able to get out of their head now that's awesome that is truly awesome brad what about you so i'm going to take steve's um i guess this is just one big thunder stealing um episode from, <laughs> from steve but i'm going to take over the crypto mantle today and talk about our the other the the previously least favorite japanese dog uh the shibu inu um we talked about dogecoin a lot in the past couple of months but uh, Shibu Inu now has overtaken uh, a variety of crypto names, uh, including Dogecoin, um, in terms of the market cap. They've, it's been dubbed the flippening, and <laughs> the you know the, the the value there is just astronomical for what is supposed to be a meme-inspired um, cryptocurrency. You know, I haven't seen real like uses for it that people like to ascribe to Bitcoin or Ethereum, but nevertheless. Uh, Shares just took off uh, up almost 26% at one point um, during this week, up a thousand percent over the past month. There have been numerous investigations into different crypto wallets and who owned what when. Uh, the notable, a notable one was I think someone put in a thousand dollars or something into it and uh, a long time ago and is now worth five billion dollars. Um, just kind of anticipating the lunacy that we're we're seeing, and that's not a, a dig. It's just. It is crazy. Um, so, you know, I thought that was just quite fascinating. Um, it just, it gets weirder um, each day, it seems yeah, like. So it really does. It really does. Uh, Stephen, what about you? I'll just continue or add to the hyperinflation item with Jack Dorsey. Um, a few hours after Dorsey, that article came out, uh, Kathy Wood kind of got back into it and she, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing new. She's been arguing that the technological innovation, the deflationary forces unleashed by that will far outweigh any kind of cyclical inflationary forces. Uh, and she kind of reiterated that. Um, then Elon Musk joined and said, hey, we're seeing inflation now. And Michael Saylor from MicroStrategy, kind of the, the lead Bitcoin guy, if you will, right at this point, Piper, at this yeah. moment in time, he, he kind of piped in and said, you know, hey, inflation is here. None of them really argued against what Kathy Wood is saying that over the long term, deflationary, the technological force, the deflationary forces from technology are, are going to overwhelm inflation, but certainly for the short term, inflation is here. And uh, my favorite bond fund managers, Lacey Hunt and Van Hoisington, they've been bullish on bonds through every single inflation scare over the past 30 years. They remain bullish on bonds. They say the U.S. is still, U.S. and the, and the Western world as a total is is still heavily over indebted. And that's a massive deflationary force right there. Uh, and that these growth spurts, these inflation spurts are, are cyclical. And then what's the, 
kind of the federal government largesse, kind of the stimulus check stop, we, we head right back into slow growth and then inflation will slow down. So to me, it's fascinating because if, if Kathy Wood is right and, and Hoisington is right, and they've been right for a long time, um, central banks in the West are about to make a massive policy mistake next year if they start to tighten monetary policy. Uh, so uh, it'd be really interesting to see how this all plays out. It sure will. In the meantime, investors can hold on to their Canadian dollars as an inflation hedge, I guess, if the central bank in Canada is raising rates. Um, Canadian dollars, which, by the way, despite their name, have the Queen of England on them, which is not the most puzzling thing about Canada. That would be the marijuana leaf on the flag. But this is another story for another day. My favorite issue um, article this week, once again, going back to the pro editors section of Seeking Alpha, where I spend almost all of my time these days. And this is a piece by Laurentian Research. And they talk about the coming super cycle for commodities. Actually, they say it's already underway. And that this is the fifth one in human history. I don't know when the other four were, but one, I guess, concluded in 2008, potentially, or maybe a little afterwards, driven by China. But they say there's another one now that's going on and that investors should increase their exposure to commodities via ETFs or individual stocks and name a couple of them. I'm not going to repeat it, but it's a very interesting piece here and goes along with the whole inflation thing that we're talking about. Certainly commodities would be uh, one inflation hedge in addition to the Canadian dollar, I guess. So that's where that's what we have this week. With that, we thank you for paying attention to us and uh, watching or listening as the case may be. If you were listening and you want to watch, you can do so on Friday afternoon at 4 p.m., which is when the video airs on the website seekingalpha.com. And the audio version, which is uh, going to be longer, that is out on Saturday afternoon, no, Saturday morning at 6 a.m. on the Wall Street Breakfast podcast account. And with that, you, we wish you a happy weekend, happy Halloween, and look forward to speaking to you again next week. That concludes today's Wall Street Breakfast. Thank you for listening. For the best investment analysis and news on the web, go to SeekingAlpha.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can sign up for our other podcasts, Behind the Idea, Essay for FAs, Let's Talk ETFs, the Cannabis Investing Podcast, and Marketplace Roundtable on those platforms as well. Have a great day.